When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Today, I am so excited to be talking to Cherie Crosby-Wheeler. Welcome to the Uplifting Impact Podcast. Now, you all know, every time we get together, we have an awesome person. So let me tell you a little bit more about Cherie. Cherie is the Vice President of Diversity and Inclusion for Fossil Group, Inc. Fossil Group, Inc. is a global design, marketing, distribution, and innovation company with distinctive watches, accessories, and wearables that are all created from some of the greatest brands in the world. Now, I know this because when I was a child, all I wanted was a fossil watch, right? I thought if I could get one, I have made it. And now I'm talking to their DEI leader, which makes me feel like I'm on that right path. Um, (laughs) So Cherie is a diversity leader, an employment lawyer, and an avid community volunteer. She's also a member of the State Bar of Texas and was honored as an outstanding lawyer, young lawyer. She earned her JD from the University of Buffalo School of Law and a BA in sociology from Emory. Welcome, 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 Cherie. Thank you, Deanna. Thank you for having me here. I'm excited to be here and have this discussion. Absolutely. So one of the things we've been doing with some of our our guests is actually starting with the question around what brings you joy? Ah, What brings me joy? I will say, first of all, resting. (laughs) I like to, I like to be still and it's hard to do because sometimes when we're sitting there, we're thinking I need to be doing something. I need to be, but like just to, to sit and be still and not do anything that feels good to me. Um, obviously hanging out with my family and kind of, I don't know if you know that terminology, like joning on people, (laughs) like when you hang out with your family and you're just messing with them and cracking jokes because they know underlying all of that is love. And so when we get together, it's just cracking jokes on each other. And that feels great. (laughs) (laughs) It's the best laughs. It feels so good. And that's kind of how you know that somebody's in your tight inner circle or a loved one. If you can just crack jokes on them and it's still okay. So those things bring me joy. That's awesome. So my grandmother is no longer alive, but when she was, one of the things she would say to me all the time is that she'd say, Deanna, you need to go somewhere and sit down. And <laughs> I miss that, right? Because so uh, I really appreciate that you said like relaxing or 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 just sitting still and and the and the joy of that. Because sometimes, even though she's not here to tell me, sometimes I have to tell myself that, like go somewhere and sit down. Yep. You can hear it. You can hear her. Just have, just have a seat. Just have it. Stop being so busy. Yeah. We're we're so, we're like so busy. Why? Like, it's okay to be, to just be. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. Well, good. I take that as affirmation that maybe this is a moment I need to go somewhere and sit down. So thank you. (laughs) You know what? That sounds like a book title too. You write that book 
and and the tribute to your grandma, the book is going to be called Go Somewhere and Sit Down and Tell Me. Like, help <laughs> people and guide them. People will grab that book. I'm telling you, I'm That's waiting awesome. for it when you write you it. You may have spoken into existence. So yeah. we'll see. <laughs> so Sheree, can you tell me a little bit? Um, I'm always curious about people's pathways into diversity, equity, and inclusion work. And you and I both come from the legal field. So I'm curious though, I am assuming that your path is still different than mine, even though we come from the same sector. So could you share with our audience how you ended up doing the work that you're doing right now? It's so interesting. You know, I would, you really want to, when people ask you that, you want to say, well, first I took this step and then I took this step, but but that's not how it went. Um, It really was kind of the opportunity presented itself. And I said, yes, Um, it wasn't something that I was actually looking for at the time. I had transitioned out of practicing law. So the first transition that I made out of practicing law was to do compliance work because it's like Mm -hmm. legal compliance. Okay, they're related. Shortly after that, at the same company where I was, they asked me to do government relations. They're like, you have a law degree. You do the government relations work. I was like, I don't know anything about that, but okay, because I want to stay employed. (laughs) So then shortly, probably about a year and a half into the government relations work, they were looking to start an office of diversity and inclusion. And looking around, seeing who could do it, and Sheree, will you do it? And they asked me, and, and I'll tell you this, right off the bat, I was like, no. <laughs> I didn't tell them no. In my head, I was like, no, I don't want to do it. I, I call it running scared. <laughs> I was running scared from diversity and inclusion. And there were multiple reasons why. One, I knew this work was hard. Mm-hmm. I knew it was hard. And I knew it was draining. Um, two, I was like, are they just asking me because I'm black? That was a thought that went into my head. Um, three, I didn't want to get pigeonholed. I didn't want to be thought of as like, oh, okay, well, this is all that she can do in this company. And so there were a number of reasons where I, why I was like, no, I don't want to do it. But then the reasons on the other side of doing it, first, my husband was like, uh, we need to eat, so you're going to do it. <laughs> that was first, but no, more seriously, um, if I thought about my legal career, diversity and inclusion was always in the background. Mm-hmm. I just didn't know that's what it was. So when I was a, I want to say a three-year lawyer, I wrote an article um, and it was back when the ABA journal had this contest that you could write an article and you could win $7,500. And I was like, what? An article? And I'm going to win that much? So I, because I like competing. So I wrote this article and the article just talked about how I felt as a young lawyer in the legal profession. And how my first firm had never had any black attorneys and it was over 100 years old. Mm -hmm. Then I moved to another firm that did have um, black attorneys and I still felt I still felt just an outsider. I still felt isolated. Um, And that article didn't say anything about diversity and inclusion, but that's what it was talking about. I didn't feel included. Um, the, the The law firms weren't diverse. And so that was early on in my career and throughout my career, I was still doing things that pertain to diversity and inclusion. I was drawn towards it, Um, but I just, I was fighting it, but I went ahead and I said, yes. And now I think about it, even though some days it's really hard, some days it's really exhausting. um, Other days it's super rewarding and I'm probably right where I'm supposed to be right now doing this work. So, you know, that's so interesting because when we think about the pathways, everybody's pathway is a little bit different into the work, but 
oftentimes when we ask people to just pause and reflect whether they're diversity, equity, and inclusion leader or not, if they're a leader of any type, we'll have people who say, oh, no, I've never done DEI work. I've never done the, of any background. And we say, no, just pause for a second. Like you said at the beginning, pause, right? Stop, rest, and think about it. Have you done this work? Where has the idea of belonging or inclusion shown up for you? Mm -hmm. Oftentimes people will stop and it's in that moment of reflection. They're like, well, actually when I was, then fill in the blank, right? With these Mm -hmm. really telling stories. And I think the thing that like really surprises me about that is the fact that it is happening, but we haven't always had the language for it or we haven't always called it that. And so people think that this is all new. And right. they've never seen it before. And, it, you know, it's a new experience. So they don't have any, any background in it. Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's so, it's so fascinating to me. Okay. So now you are doing, you're doing the work. We're lucky to have you as, as a colleague in the field. I'm curious, as you think about, you know, diversity and inclusion strategies, what are some things that you have found to be most effective in different environments? So like, thinking about the work environment, all the different places that you've worked in, what are the strategies that leaders can integrate that are literally the most important? You know, it's interesting because I think sometimes when we come at this, people think it has to be something grandiose and big and this humongous, you know, five-year strategy that you're going to take on, which, yeah, you should have a strategy that should have multi-levels and all departments involved. You should have that. But when it comes to the individuals, so if we're talking individual and we're talking organizational or structural, the -hmm. things that an individual can do, that is happening like day to day, like Mm -hmm. every day. I think the most effective things, the most effective are the smallest things that each person takes upon themselves to do in a given day. And even when you say diversity, people think that's something specific. But I'm like, if you really think about it, just making people feel valued, making people feel seen, heard, caring about their careers, caring about them as people. How can I help you succeed and move forward? How can I help you navigate situations? How can I help you get additional skills? So you hear how I'm starting all of that? How can I help you? How can I help you? How can I help you? As leaders, that's the way we're supposed to be thinking. How can I help them? How can I help them? And if everybody's you know, looking around and and seeing how can they help each other, that's going to move the whole organization forward. So I think focusing in on the small, small everyday interactions that people are having, I think that is super effective because if everybody's focusing in on what they can do and doing it, then you're going to have that full cultural change. But if you get into an organization and people are like, oh, we have somebody that does diversity and inclusion, we have a chief diversity officer and she or he works on that. No, (laughs) it's not going to work because she or he, depending on, unless your company is like three people, (laughs) then maybe, but most companies are are pretty big um, or not pretty big, but most companies are sizable. And so you can't have one person over here who's doing all the work and nobody else is paying attention to it. So it won't permeate the organization. So that's why I tell people, I said, it might be in my job title, but it's implicitly in everybody's job description to be working on diversity, equity, and inclusion in any way that they are able, can, given what their, um, you know, 
where they fall in an organization, everybody can do something. So I think that strategy is important, individual actions. Also, I think having that structural piece where mm-hmm. you start looking at processes, practices, procedures, that's important too. I think that is probably even more important <laughs> than the individual piece because you're going to have some individuals who are just not about it. And I, that doesn't involve me. I don't want to do it. And that's a whole other um, conversation about really, so it doesn't involve you. So if this is the way that the company is going, but you don't want to do it, should you be here? That's a whole other conversation. But while you're working on the individual strategies, then having those structural policies, processes, procedures, practices, customs, trying to figure out how you can work on those to make them more equitable, to make them more inclusive, I think that will have more of an impact. So if both of these things are working in tandem, if you're working on both of them at the same time, I know that that moves organizations forward. It, sometimes the issue comes in where you might just be doing all the individual work you know, and nothing structural or systemic. So then that's not going to work. You might be doing all of the systemic work, putting policies and practices, procedures in place, and nobody's on board. None of the individuals are really trying to hear you. So it's not going to work. Like you have to be doing both of them at the same time. And it's a lot. I'm just, can I just say right now, pause and be like, it's a lot sometimes. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know if people understand how hard, and you know, um, as a practitioner, how hard this work is in particular to change hearts and minds. It yeah. is hard and to keep it front and center for people and to keep it in, you know, in their mind and to, to show them and tell them that this is something that you need to get into the habit of thinking about and habitually practice. It's hard. <laughs> it is. <laughs> I, I agree. And I think, you know, though, it's so rewarding, right? Like it's, it's, it's one right. of those things where if you do it and you do it well, it's so rewarding. And that's what keeps people coming back to it. So knowing that it's hard, what are some of the things that you do to keep things front and center and to bring people along in the conversation, meeting them where they are? What are some, what are some of your, you know, if we like opened up your toolbox <laughs> and you, we got to see like some of the, the tools that you find to be most effective, what, what would that look like? I, I really tried to listen um, to people and to see what their needs are. But what I also try to do is look for those folks that don't seem to be engaged and try to make a connection with them mm. and try to build those relationships so that we have that pathway that I can say, come on, let's talk about this. And they're like, oh, I know her. Oh, we, we've been good together. You know, she seems nice. Let me listen to what she's saying. Let me hear what she's talking about. I also try to, if somebody is saying something that runs counter to what (laughs) might be correct. I don't shut them down. You're wrong, you know, and jump on them or I don't do that. I mean, there's some people out there that will, and that's how they want to operate, but you know, kind of the more, more bees with honey theory. I'm not being overly nice, but I'm saying open, like, okay, I'm listening to you because I'm saying, I want you to hear me. I want to hear you. And then try to have that dialogue. I think that also disarms some people. Because they expect that I'm going to be a certain way, that I'm going to tell them, no, 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 and you shouldn't, and you're wrong. They expect that. And so then when you get the, oh, I didn't know she was going to listen, or I didn't know she was going to be open to, to hearing what I had to say, or the, I didn't know she wasn't going to attack me, then that disarms them. 
So that's some of what I do to kind of bring people along. Um, I also like to meet people where they are just talking to them about their experiences, finding out. Because if somebody's coming at you and they're like, I read Ibrahim Kindi, I'm like, okay, you, you're you out here. <laughs> Versus <laughs> someone who's like, well, I don't, you know, I live in this particular place and, you know, there's there's not a lot of diversity where I live. I'm like, okay, you know, maybe they're, they have a little further to go in their journey. So yeah. I, I you really have to listen to where people are to kind of bring them along instead of a one size fits all. And, and all of this is, is very labor intensive. that's why it's so slow too because it's kind of one at a time one at a time you know one of the things that's uh fascinating is we say that what we want to do is we want to bring people along and we want to help them like on their journey but a lot of times I feel like as practitioners we get a little impatient we're like come on we already know where you want to go. We know it, right? And and so it does become really difficult and it is, it can be tiresome when you're like, wait, no, actually I have to start from wherever you are. I can't start right. from where I want you, you to be, but it's almost like that go slow to go fast, right? That you mm-hmm. have to kind of create that kind of relationship in order for things to grow. Now, right. here's my, my big question to you. That makes all the sense in the world to me. And I'm sure our listeners are like, oh yeah, absolutely. Because right. even if we weren't talking about diversity and inclusion, that's how you create any kind of trust relationship, right. right? So we have to do that. How do you do that at a systems level? So when it's as not far, the individual, but it's the system you're trying to bring. To try to change the system. I mean, you can, you can, like we said, you can put a policy, a procedure, a practice in place. You put it in place. But unless you get individuals to start to utilize it and not pull back and not push, unless you get that, it's not going to work. So I, you you can create the systems that are equitable, the, the policies like, hey, you need to follow this or, hey, we're going to do it this way so that we provide more opportunity for more diverse, you know, a more diverse candidate pool or something. You put it in place, but you know, you know, and I know there's people trying to skirt it and people trying to find <laughs> exceptions. And so then that's problematic because then you're not going to move along because that individual has not bought in or figured out, you know, why it's important that we do it this way. And here's yeah. what I, I will say around um, diversity, equity, and inclusion. That sometimes talking about patience and impatience, like last year, everybody, you know, a lot of people had an awakening. And now this year, people are like, where are we? And I'm like, wait a minute. So, you know, so society hasn't even gotten this right. Right. After all of this time. And I'm just talking, you know, America, United States, because globally, there's different issues. But in the United States, we haven't gotten it right after all this time. So I know y'all didn't think. That in one year, <laughs> these corporations were just going to boom, fix things. Like, I know, I know you didn't think that. So if, if inside your corporation is a mirror to society, that's why, to me, it seems to take so long. Society has not even, outside the corporation, has not even gotten it all right. So why would inside, just because you walk into these doors proverbially or turn on your Zoom, whatever, however you go to work, that doesn't mean that what's happening, we know that now, what's happening externally is not bringing itself into the workplace. And I think that is some of the impediment too. Everybody's not on board. 
when they leave. <laughs> like They're like, oh, we had to take this training. I don't want people to have to take a training. The way I want them to talk about learning with me is I got the opportunity to hear from Sheree, to sit with Sheree, to learn with Sheree. Not I had to take a training. I had to take a diversity training, you know? And so that's why to me, it takes so long and, yeah. it, and it will take long. And I was talking to my dad last night. He was like, we're not going to see it in my lifetime and not in yours either. I was like, thanks for lifting me up. <laughs> I, I was like, okay. Um, but there's, you know, people feel that way because it's, it's been a long time coming and we're not there yet. Yeah. But, and it's interesting because you got to have that like urgency mm -hmm. and that patience. It's like patient urgency, which seems like they're in contradiction and they kind of are in contradiction, but there are moments, right. Where those, that's the only way to survive in this space. You have to be urgent and understand why it's important, but you have to have the patience to bring people along with you. Right. Well, like that. Patient urgency. urgency. Yeah. Ooh, if I am, I'm going to be like, this is from Vienna. <laughs> <laughs> well, Sheree, it was lovely to, to talk to you today, to sit still for a second and be able to have a conversation with you. So just want to say thank you so much for being able to be here with us today yeah. and, sharing, and sharing your wisdom. So in this week's episode, we got a chance to talk about this idea of sitting for a second, of patient urgency, of being able to make sure that you have both things working working at the same time, that it's not just people and it's not just operations. You got to have both of those. Uh, we always talk about it in our structure as people, practices, and operations, that there's really three levels of it. But however you dissect it, that these things have to be working almost all the time. You have to be working at the same time together. So we're so excited that you all were able to join us here for another episode. We uh, would love to hear your thoughts. So please feel free to comment on our website at upliftingimpact.com, or you can provide your direct comments to us through LinkedIn. You can either do that on my page, on Uplifting Impact's page, or on Justin Ponder's page. And until next week, we just want to say thank you so much and continue to share because we hear at Uplifting Impact really believe that the more people who are having this conversation, the more people who are willing to be urgent and also willing to be patient and work alongside uh, one another, the more change we can have in the world. So thank you. Thank you. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.